I just pray for Steve. Father God, we just thank you for our brother Steve. Lord, we really just pray that you will just use him as a vessel tonight. Lord, I really just pray that you will fill him with your spirit. You'll give him the gifts of wisdom and discernment to filter what you want um, us to hear from him. Father God, we just pray that you will soften our hearts to hear what you want us to hear tonight. And Lord, I just pray that through this talk tonight that we will just grow closer to you and know more of what you want from us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Hello, how's it going? Um, so, uh, my name's Steve, for those of you who don't know me, probably isn't too many by now. Uh, married to Beth, give us a wave. Alright, um, so, yeah, she got more of a whoop than I did, brilliant. Um, so, before I start, I just thought we'd go with some news. Um, a little while ago, Tim, I think, stood here and, and prayed that we'd be welcoming families into St. Matt's, and at the end of May, that should come true, the little baby, so Beth is pregnant. Uh, so yeah, we just wanted to share that news with you really uh, and just ask that you, you know, be praying with us and um, yeah, just looking forward to that with us. I also feel like, on a, on a slightly less important note, but just slightly, um, if you're wondering why my beard looks ridiculous, um, it's Movember, so it's a charity mustache. Is there anyone else here doing Movember? Am I the only mustache in the room? Where is Mark Nish when you need him? Come on. He's not here. Is he not here? Oh, well, he's not even here. I've got no support. Okay, no worries. So that's why I have this swirl. It's called a monkey tail. It's going, yeah, just this way. So don't worry about it. If it puts you off, try and ignore it. We'll, we'll pray that the spirit will go. Um, yeah, so we're doing a series on the one another's. Um, you know, it was great what you guys were saying just, just earlier about how we are family together and how God wants to knit us together as, as just really as family. You know, that we are family to one another. And so we're doing this series on the one another's where we're just trusting that God is speaking to us about the way that he wants us to relate to one another. You know, and it's all about just being family. And, you know, it's, it's, we pray for one another. We, you know, we, we talk and teach to one another. We honor one another. And today um, we're looking at encouragement and how we're supposed to encourage one another. Um, <clears throat> so... Um, you know, what's the purpose of encouragement? We're talking about that we have to encourage one another. You know, what's, what's the purpose of encouragement? What's the point? Well, I mean, I was thinking about this, and really, I come up with just this, that encouragement is we behave in a way, or we talk to someone in a way that leads that person to do something or be something that they might not otherwise be. You know, that is encouragement. That we, that we behave to someone in a way that leads them to do something or be something that they might not otherwise have been apart from our encouragement. And it can literally be anything from, yeah, go and jump, it'll be hilarious. You know, that is encouragement to, to you should start your own business because you'll do really well. You know, it is as broad as that. It can be anything. And, you know, I just noticed when I was thinking about it, encouragement is really, it is a powerful thing. Um, it can lead you to places that you think, how on earth did I get here? Like, I've got um, a friend, Dan Golding, who's here tonight. And um, I, we, we lived together for a little while. And um, we watched the Olympics, the boxing, together. And uh, we were watching Anthony Joshua, who won gold in the boxing. And I had just started boxing at this point. Right? And the commentator said that Anthony Joshua, he had only started boxing four years ago, and now he's Olympic champion. And I'm like, wow, imagine that. 
Imagine if I could be an Olympic champion in four years' time. And I was like, just saying it. And then Dan was like, dude, you could be an Olympic champion in four years' time. And I was like, yeah, fast forward ten minutes, I'm going to be an Olympic champion in four years' time. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And so Dan decides he's going to come with me, and we're going to be in Rio in 2016, and I'm going to be boxing, and he's going to be whatever it was. I can't even remember, but he, he goes off learning Portuguese, and I get like proper stuck into boxing. I'm like, come on, this is going to happen. And it's just amazing how deluded you can be because of encouragement. You know, you can sit in a room with someone for 10 minutes and suddenly you can believe things that are just like, what the heck? You know, and suddenly then when, when Dan left and went to London, I looked at it in the cold light of day and went, yeah, this is not happening, is it? You know, <laughs> this is just not happening. But the point I'm trying to make is that encouragement can be a really powerful thing. You know, it can lead you to places that you think, wow. You know, we can encourage one another to heights that we can't reach without one another. Without people speaking into your life and encouraging you. You can't get to where God has for us to go. And you know, you know what, what, so what, what do we encourage each other to? Obviously, not to do boxing. We encourage one another to run with Jesus. You know, we're encouraging one another in, in the lives that we lead after God. You know, the gifts that he's given you is what we encourage each other to use. We encourage one another to walk with Jesus, to, to really sell out our hearts and our lives to him. You know, we are encouraging one another in this race that we run with God. And you know, when do we need encouragement? Well, you need encouragement, I think, particularly at certain points if you are feeling discouraged. And that can be because of circumstances that you're in, a situation, um, you know, whatever it is that's, that's leading you to feel discouraged. But we also need encouragement just at all times. You know, we should be encouraging each other all the time. You know, so even if you're doing well and you, you are feeling, you know, oh yeah, I'm running after God, I love Jesus, we still need encouragement at those times to just keep going, to just keep pressing in. You know, we should just be standing with each other, just like, you know, that, this whole one another series is that, that verse, iron sharpens iron. That we should be to one another, a people who just bring each other closer to God. So encouragement is, is really central to that. And, um, you know, we can encourage each other in loads of different ways. Um, you get, you know, the kind of affirmation of abilities where you can say to people, oh, you know, you're really good at this. Like, you know, you do that really well. It's great. You can sing really well or whatever it is. Um, we have the whole, like, excitement. Like the whole, just, you know, if I'm excited about something, I'm passionate about something, that can transfer onto someone else and they can just become excited about, you know, whatever it is. You just bring that excitement. And then, you know, we also... We can lead by example, which is a form of encouragement. Um, I went and listened to a guy called Florian who came to visit uh, Bath just a couple of weeks ago. And, and just, you know, he's an evangelist. And just the things that he's seeing God do is just such an encouragement to me. It's just like, wow, God is just moving in power. And he's just like, you know, that, that's just so encouraging. But I feel like, you know, if we had to look for a model of a way to encourage one another, um, as always, we should just look to God. And we should see... You know, God, how do you encourage us? And what we want to do is we want to partner with that. And the way that God does things is the way that we need to do things. You know, the more um, I learn from God, the more I walk with Him, I realize that if you want to see a situation from the right perspective, you have to see it from His perspective. And then you partner with that. And, you know, that is what we should be doing with encouragement. And um, so how does God encourage us? Well, I believe He says three things to us when God is encouraging us. He tells us who He is. He tells us what he's done, and he tells us who he has made us. 
So he reminds us of these things to shift our perspective in a situation or in life. He tells us who he is. He tells us what he's done for us. And he tells us who he's made us to be. And he calls that out of us. Um, so I'm just going to go through those things really and just sort of like add to those what I really think God is saying there. So, so first of all, who God is. He reminds us of who he is. You know, when we look at a situation that is making us feel discouraged, uh, so often it just seems like such a big situation. You know, it just seems so strong and just like it can be overpowering, you know, whatever it might be. And you just need to remember, and when we're encouraging each other, just say to each other, you know, remember the Lord your God. Remember God. He is great. He is mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. The the, the all-consuming fire that is God. Remember, he is the Alpha and the Omega. You know, he was there in the beginning, before the worlds were formed. And he will be forevermore. You know, this is the God that we serve. This is the God we're running after. And all authority belongs to him. And remember that he's a God of love. You know, he's not just a God who is powerful but distant. He is a God who draws near to you. You know, he is a father to you. He's a close father to you. And when we, when we remember, you know, that, that parable of the prodigal son, you know, that, that really, that is a parable about the love of the father. You know, because we are all that prodigal son, but it is the way he just stretches out his arms and says, I love you. I love you so much. Remembering who God is, is the first step towards being encouraged because it shifts your perspective from how big this situation is to how big my God is and then with that you get remembering what God has done for us so you know how often do you hear in the Bible when God says I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt you know this is he declares his own works so that we will be encouraged you know he is the God who gives us peace on all sides it is like declaring, it's almost like declaring his track record. Just showing that he is good all the time. That this mighty and powerful God who loves us brings good things into our lives. And being confident in that. And, you know, I said one of the ways that we can encourage one another is by um, living an example. Um, and you know, Jesus, he is always the example. You know, Jesus is the example that we live from. Uh, and the Bible says that the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The example of Jesus' life, that story, it is the spirit of prophecy. Now, why is that? It's because what Jesus has done for us speaks into your own future. It's not just a story that was lived out in the past. It is a story that, you know, everything that Jesus has done, what he won for us at the cross, you know, what he paid for when he paid for our sin, when he brought us close to the Father, it is the spirit of prophecy because it means something to your life now. It says, because of what Jesus has done, this is what I now am. This is where I can stand. This is how I approach God. It speaks into your future. It says, this is how I'm going to follow him and, and where he's going to lead me. The spirit, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy because it brings out what he has put in our lives. And... Um, you know, Paul urges Timothy in his letters to him, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. Just the idea of keeping it fresh in your mind. You know, we all know that Jesus died for our sins. You know, but how many of us really know that on a day-to-day basis? How many of us live in the realization this is what Jesus has done for us? And I, I really think that um, 
yeah, like we're saying, when, you know, we're encouraging one another. If someone is discouraged, just bring them to those first two points of who God is. Remember them. Remind them, sorry, who God is. And remind them what he's done for us. And then, you know, where I want to spend most of my time tonight is, is that third bit of um, how God calls out of us what he has put in us. You know, who he's put in us to be. You know, um, it says in um, Jeremiah that uh, before Jeremiah was formed in the womb, God says to him, I knew you and I set you as a prophet to the nations. You know, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you and I set you as a prophet to the nations. And before God even formed you in the womb, he set a path for you to walk. And God just wants to call that out of you for you to walk into it. And um, you're just going to look at Gideon. Okay, reading tonight, we're taking it from Judges 6, uh, verses 11 to 16. That's Judges 6, verses 11 to 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to to Joash, the Abyssinian right, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. So, I mean, let's just look at this uh, this passage together. Um, We've got this guy Gideon. Uh, Israel is being completely oppressed uh, by the Midianites who completely control the land. And... um, Gideon is afraid. He is threshing wheat in a wine press. He is hiding from the Midianites. You know, this guy, he is trying to, you know, thresh wheat. I think that's making bread. You know, he's doing it in a wine press so that they can't see him because he believes and he knows in his mind that the Midianites are stronger than they are. So if they find that he's threshing wheat, they, they're going to want it, they're going to come, and they can take it because they're able to do that. That's, that's the way Gideon is living. That is what his mindset is. I am not strong enough to overcome these people, so I'm going to hide from them. And then you look at what God comes. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. That is a completely different perspective from the one that Gideon is looking at his own situation. Gideon is hiding. He is hiding, threshing wheat in a wine press. And God says, You mighty man of valor. Now, you you look at that situation. Is, Is God lying? Is, is God lying? Is, is, is Gideon actually a mighty man of valor? Or is God just, is, is God just making that up? You know? and, and look at Gideon's response. Um, yeah, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles? 
which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring you up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And in that response, you can see quite a lot about Gideon himself. You know, he is really responding to the Lord is with you in that. And he's basically saying, I don't really believe you. You say the Lord is with us, but look at what I can see with my eyes. You know, look at what is going on around me. That is not what I see. I do not see the Lord is with me. You know, it's almost like he's saying, I don't, I don't believe you, and you're going to have to prove that to me. You know? And, but in that, you can see something of that mighty man. You know, what angels usually say when they appear to people? Usually they, go, they start with, don't be afraid. Because angels are pretty scary. Okay? And they want you to receive a message from them, so they start with, don't be afraid. But not with Gideon. You know, with Gideon, they don't start like that. He just says, mighty man of valor. You know, there is something in Gideon already that is a mighty man of valor. And he doesn't believe it yet. But there is already something in there. The angel doesn't say, don't be afraid. Because God already knows that Gideon is able to get what the angel is saying to him without having to be told to not be afraid. Because Gideon is a mighty man, even if he doesn't know it yet. And God is calling out what he put in him. Remember what I said about Jeremiah? How before Jeremiah was born, when he was in the womb, God set him as a prophet to the nations. Well, it's the same with you, and it is the same with Gideon. And whatever God has called for you to do, he has put that in you already. He put that in you before you were formed in the womb. And with the Spirit of God in your heart, he is calling it out of you. And he just wants you to see, this is who I've made you. And you know, we can see in that response, there is a might in that response. Despite the fact he doesn't believe it, he can turn to the angel, the angel of God. And he says, oh my Lord, you know, he does have a respect. He's not rude, but he says, oh my Lord, if all this has happened, sorry, um, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So how does God respond? Does God argue his corner? You know, is God, is God uh, taken aback by Gideon's response? What does God say? Or what does the angel say? Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? God is not interested in all of Gideon's responses. I mean, he is interested in Gideon. But, like, you remember when um, God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush? The first time they have met. And God says, you know, I want you to go, I want you to speak to Pharaoh, and I want you to bring Israel. I want you to demand that Pharaoh lets Israel go from Egypt. And Moses is all like, no, I can't do this, God. You know, I, I can't do this. Like, I, I don't speak well. I don't, you know, I don't communicate this well. I'm not a man who's good speech. Like, I, you know, people think he may have had a, a speech impediment or something. He just wasn't confident. He just didn't want to do it. And he's standing before a burning bush that's not being consumed. And he is so sure of his own inadequacy that he will tell God, I'm not doing this. I can't do this. I am the wrong person for this job. Send someone else. And God never engages with Moses' weakness. He never says, it doesn't matter. He doesn't even address it. He doesn't, he doesn't agree or disagree. You know, we don't even know. Moses might have just been, um, you know, overly sort of, you know, it's not humility, but like, he might have just been putting himself down. He might have been able to speak fine. We don't know. Now, he was pretty sure about it, so I would imagine that he did have a speech impediment. But we don't know because God never addressed that. Because that's not what it's about. God is saying, I have put in you all that you need with my spirit 
And as I lead you, all that you need to perform the task and to be the man and the woman that you have, that I want you to be, it is already inside you. So in, in the same way that God doesn't engage with Moses about it, he doesn't engage with Gideon here. Um, and then you see more of Gideon's heart when he responds. So God says to him, have I not sent you? So he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. That is who Gideon is in his own mind. That is who Gideon is to himself. He is the lowest of the low. That is who Gideon sees himself as. Now, we, um, Andrew Udall Smith stood here uh, a few weeks ago, and he told us not to be ignorant about spiritual warfare. And I just want to say tonight, the greatest battle of spiritual warfare that you will ever find yourself in is for you to see yourself as God sees you. To look beyond the circumstances that you can see in. You know, um, Manasseh was a half-tribe of Joseph. You know, and, and it's a small tribe. And he, he's saying, I am the least in my father's house. And my father's house is part of a, um, a tribe that is a half-tribe. And our clan is small within that. He sees himself as just so low. Not as how God has intended him to be. And God is saying, you are a mighty man of valor. You are not the lowest of the low. You are what I say you are. And what I say you are is great. And that is what God wants to communicate to each one of us. And I just pray that God would just put something in your heart, even this evening, to just seek him for who he has for your life, for who he has you to be. That you would just catch a glimpse of who God says that you are. That you would be able to believe it. You know, I mean, that, that is all that Abraham did. God spoke to Abraham when he was, um, you know, the guy is like 90 whatever. He is way past bearing kids. You know, and he's, he's married to a woman who can't have kids. And God says to him, I will make you the father of many nations. And that is just, you know, that is way beyond Gideon's situation. That is like, what the heck, that is just so impossible. Why would God even do that? You know, and the Bible says, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And you know, this is what God wants us to do. This is what, how he wants us to react. To when he calls his life into your life. And says, this is who I've made you. You know, sometimes it doesn't add up. Sometimes you can say, well, you know, you know God says that I am a powerful speaker, whatever. God says, God says this about me. And you think, well, let's think back to what I've seen in my life. My own track record. That's not what I see. You know, or you think, oh, you know, I know, I know what I'm like. I know my personality. I know my flaws. And I don't see myself as the son of God that God sees me as. Well, it's times like that when God is just saying, you know, just believe me. Even if you don't see it, just believe me. And I will make it. I will make you walk in it. In the same way that he says with Gideon. With Gideon. He doesn't say, I'm just going to leave you and you go and be that mighty man of valor. He says... Surely I will be with you. And you will defeat the Midianites as one man. As one man, you will defeat the Midianites. As one man, you will defeat the Midianites. And, you know, God is just calling us to see who he has made us. And, you know, in this spiritual battle, there is all kind of things that will um, weigh on your mind. There is, you know, like I said, your own personal track record, the way that you walk with God. The world will tell you so many things about yourself, so many insecurities that it wants to bring in. 
So, you know, what do we have? Well, we have the Word of God, and we have each other. You know, we have each other. That is what God has given us. We have each other. So I need you to be able to speak into my life and say, be encouraged. This is who God has made you. He has made you powerful. And you need me and you need each other to speak into each other's lives, to speak into your lives and say, this is who God has made you. Keep running after Jesus. Run with me after Jesus. This is what we are supposed to be to each other. And, you know, it's, it's more than just seeing it. It's, it's believing it as well. And remember uh, King David... God spoke to David uh, through Samuel that he was going to be king in Israel a long, long time before he ever actually sat on the throne in Israel. Now, why did God tell him all those years before? It's because he wanted to give him the chance to believe it, to let him walk him into it, so that he could see as it was unfolding, this is what God has planned for my life. This is what he has spoken over me all those years ago, and now I am walking into it, and just allowing it to happen. And then you get this scenario where um, you know, David becomes captain. He kills Goliath and he becomes captain of the army um, in Israel. And um, Saul basically gets him. He falls out of favor with Saul, who was the king at the time. And Saul tries to kill him. And so David has to then run away from the kingdom that he will one day inherit as king. He will one day sit on the throne as king of this kingdom that he now has to run away from because Saul is trying to kill him. And Jonathan, who is the king's son, um, is really good friends with David. And there's this moment where they're talking, and you know, this must be one of the most discouraging moments for David of his life. You know, he is standing there, and he, you know, he has seen God moving forward in all these steps towards the being king, that he knows that's what God has for his life. And he now has to run from the kingdom that he will inherit. And Day, uh, Jonathan comes to him, and he says, I know that God has set you as king over Israel. You will be king, and I will be next to you. You know, we don't even know, as far as I'm aware, we don't even know that David actually told Jonathan about that prophecy of Samuel when he anointed him with oil. But, but Jonathan had seen something in David's life. God had given him an insight to see the favor, the grace that was on David for leadership. And, and Jonathan knew this man is going to be king one day. And I will be next to him. And you need to understand that when Jonathan said that, he said that to his own hurt. He encouraged David that in, in, in that way to his own hurt. In the sense that, you know, by the natural lineage of things, it should have been Jonathan that was king next after Saul. But he was forsaking his own place as king so that David could be king in his place. He was saying, I know, I can see what God has put in your life. You know, he, he, he caught a glimpse of what God was doing in David, and he believed it. And that is, you know, that's what we need to be to one another, even when it costs us. Like, it, it, you know, I mean, it, it won't in the same way, but it cost Jonathan, and he still believed it because he saw something. And you know, there's a guy, there's a guy from um, Holy Trinity. His name's Simon. He, um, he's a guy who used to be in the military. I can't remember his second name. Um, but you know, when I used to go up at Holy Trinity. Um, he used to come and sometimes he would just speak to me and I remember once when we were talking he just said that um, he just wanted to encourage me he said that uh, I can just see God is doing something in your life and I just want to encourage you that he is going to really work in you, you know, that he, he has called you out and he's just going to do great things and that was it and I was like oh amazing thanks and then from that point onwards pretty much whenever I would see him in church we would have this conversation 
And he would say, you know what, I just see God doing something in your life. I believe he's calling you out. You know, and I could tell from when he talked to me about it, he believed it. He caught a glimpse of something that God was doing. And he believed it. And you know, you know, I used to go to Holy Trinity and often it was a, a really great message. And I'd really, you know, God would really speak to me. In it. And sometimes, you know, I'm sure it was still a great message. But I wouldn't get as much from it. I just wouldn't personally respond in the same way. Sometimes the worship was, uh, was brilliant and I would just feel the presence of God and I just know the Spirit of God was there. And sometimes I just wouldn't engage in the same way. But every time Simon came to speak to me, I would be moved. Because I'm like, here is a guy who believes in me. And, and he doesn't just believe in me, he believes in God in me. You know, that's what I mean. He believes in God in me. He has just caught sight of something. And, you know, that's not because I am special. That's because God wants to do that in each one of us. God has a particular and a powerful life for you. You know, just for a minute, just forget about all the great stories. God has a powerful life for you to live. And encouraging one another, it is about catching a glimpse of what God is doing in someone else. And saying, you know what, I am going to believe that. And I'm going to confirm it to them. So that when they're being chased out of the kingdom, like, like David was, when they're being chased out of the kingdom, that they would inherit as king. Jonathan can stand there and say, you know what? What God has spoken over your life, it is still true. It is still true. I want you to remember what God has said about you. Because even in this day when you are discouraged, it is still true today. It is still true. Now we can, you know, sometimes it's difficult to, to see the big picture of someone's life. And, you know... It's a real gift when God gives us a picture and says, you know, God is going to use you for this specific thing. You know, he is going to make you prime minister or whatever it is going to be. But definitely not what Simon said to me. You know, but like, I want to say, you know, Simon didn't get that for me. You know, he didn't say, he didn't say anything specific. All he did was he said, God is going to use you. And he believed it and he just confirmed it to me. And I can't tell you how important that was to me when I would go there. Just the strength that I would find in this relationship with this guy because he would just believe that God was doing something in my life so that it helped me to believe it. And um, I just want to finish by looking at Acts and, and um, particularly at Barnabas. But um, Beth, are you going to read that right? So we're going to read uh, Acts. Wait, no we're not. Wait, wait what, are you? what are you? What are you reading? Yes, you are. Yes, we are. We're going to read Acts 9. Um, 26 to 27? No. Okay. <laughs> so Acts 9, 10 to 17. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas, when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. 
He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and become filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. So what I want to highlight here is that um, something changed in Ananias from the first time God spoke to him about Paul. I mean, you have to understand who, sorry, Saul at this time. You have to understand who Saul was. He was the guy who was going to different cities around. He was finding Christians. He was dragging them off. He was putting them in prison. He was killing them. He was the guy who stood there and stoned Stephen. You know, this is a guy who is terrorizing the church. He is killing loads of people. He is throwing loads of people in prison. And he is famous for it. So people know about it. I mean, Ananias says here, he has heard about this guy. You know, he knows he's coming. And he's heard about him. And and everyone in that Christian community in that city must be like, this guy Saul is coming. You know, we better be ready because he's going to come. He's going to find us. He's going to try and kill us. And then God says to him, go and speak to this guy. I want you to go and I want you to go and pray for him. And Ananias, understandably, kind of goes, um... Really? I don't really want to do that. You know, like this guy, this guy is trying to kill me. He is here to kill me. Like, why would I want to go and meet him? And God says, you know what? Just go and do it. And you know, like what it says, when he goes, when he goes to um, to see Saul, he greets him, he puts his hands on him, and he says, "Brother Saul, brother Saul." Now, something has changed. In Ananias, between the first time that God spoke to him and this point when he's actually reached Saul, you know, he, God doesn't talk, tell him to call him brother Saul. He just says, you know what, the guy that you believe this man to be, that's not who he is anymore. I have called him to preach to the nations. You know, and you're going to go and you're going to pray for him. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he goes in and he says, brother Saul. He believes what God is doing in Saul. It has changed the way he looks. At Saul. He doesn't go into him. He doesn't go, okay, you know what? I'm here because I've been told to be here. He partners with what God is doing in Saul's life. And he says, I am going to believe this. And he goes in and you can just see his heart is moved. He goes in and he says, brother Saul, receive your sight. You know, that, that is how we need to believe in one another. The way that Ananias believed in Saul. It is a way that changed the way he looked at him. So that he could partner with what God was doing and believe in him. And um, I want to finish by looking at um, Barnabas. So in Acts 9, if you've got your Bibles, go to Acts 9, um, verse 26 and 27. So Acts 9, verse 26 and 27. Uh, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, so this is after Saul has been... He's become a Christian now. He's, he's actually preaching the gospel. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. And they didn't believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and he brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So you get this guy Barnabas. Now, Barnabas means son of encouragement. Now, that wasn't his original name. The disciples changed his name to be the son of encouragement because of his character, because he was an encourager. His name was not originally Barnabas, but they made it that because they're saying, this is what your character is. 
So this is what we're going to call you. He was the son of encouragement. And what was he in Jerusalem? He was the only person who would believe in Saul. He was the only person that would believe that God has done something to him. And all the apostles, they were like, well, I'm not going anywhere near that guy. You know, this is, this is still the killer. They still, they still think that he's the killer. They just still don't know that God has touched him life. But Barnabas, but Barnabas believes. You know, if you've been around St. Matt's for a while, you know, um, you've come across that phrase, but God, that we sometimes use here. You know, um, Peter loves it. Tim loves it. But God. It's the idea that there can be overwhelming circumstances. You know, whatever it is, it's overwhelming circumstances bearing down on you. And, and, you know, all hell's about to break loose. Everything's about to go wrong. But God. You know, but God is able to come in and he is bigger and he can save the day. And these are these but God moments in the Bible. I just want to say, this is a but God moment. But it doesn't say but God. It says but Barnabas. Because some things God doesn't want to just do for us. Some things he wants to do with us and through us. You know, and right here on the page it says, but Barnabas. But what it is, is but God. God is moving inside of Barnabas. And if we are willing to believe in one another, we get to be a but God in one another's lives. We can say, you know what, there is every reason the world tells me that I should fail, that I won't be accepted. You know, when my insecurities mount up around me and I just think, oh, how can I do this? And then someone just, someone like Simon, oh, Holy Trinity, can just come and speak to you. And they can just say, that's not what God has for you. God has victory for your life. God has purpose for your life. And then, you know, Barnabas just, he believes in Paul. And they start to walk together and he brings him before the apostles. You know, he took his life in his hands when he went to go and meet Saul. And, um... He just believes in them, and they start to, to work, they go around and they're preaching, and uh, the Bible keeps saying in Acts, Barnabas and Paul do this, 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 and then it says, Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas, and there is a moment where it switches from being every time it says Barnabas and Paul, and then every time it says Paul and Barnabas, because he is now leading. You know, there is a way in which the favor of God on Paul's life for leadership and for, you know, administering the authority that God has given him was greater than that on Barnabas' life. There was a time when he took the lead. And just what I want to highlight is, Barnabas believed in Paul until Paul became greater than he was in the kingdom. That is love. That is how God wants me to believe in you. And you to believe in one another. That you don't believe in one another because you know you should. You know, that, that's, a, that's a belief that says, you know what, I'm going, to believe in two, I'm going to believe in you until you become almost as great as me. And then I'll stop. Because I want to be greater than everyone else. But God wants us to come to a point where we believe in one another. Till we out, till, you know, I want to believe in you until you outgrow me. You know, I want to go as far as I can go with God in my life. I want to know him as deep as I can know him. And I want to walk with him in everything that he has for me to walk with. And then when I'm finished, I want the people that I am walking with to go further. That is what Barnabas brought to Paul. He said, I will believe in you until you outgrow me. Until you go further with God than I have ever gone myself. That is the way that Barnabas believes in people. And so, now Paul is leaving and they're going around and, you know, they go through loads of things. They must have been really close. For years, they worked together. And God does amazing things through them. And then, 
Um, you get this point in, um, in Acts 15. I'll just read it to you. Acts 15, verse 36 and 41. Um, they have a guy with them called John Mark. And uh, when they're doing some of their work away from Jerusalem, um, they're all walking together. And, you know, they probably went out in a fairly small group in, like, you know, maybe four or five people. And it would have been tough. You know, it would have been really hard. It would have been, like, you know, Paul often writes, when you see him writing his letters, he writes about how he doesn't want to be a burden to the churches there. So in all the stuff that's going on, all the persecution they came across, he was still making tents. Because he wanted a, a means to support the group that they were with. It would have been a really hard group to be part of. And, and, and the work that God had for them would have been tough. And um, in the midst of this, this guy Mark, he decides he's had enough. For whatever reason. And he basically leaves them. And then, um, when they decide to go back out on another mission, Mark basically decides that he wants to go again. And um, in, in Acts 15, verse 36... It says, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Now let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them at Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went throughout Syria and Caesarea, strengthening the churches. So, Mark left them. Then they go out on their, their next um, you know, wave of preaching. They want to go and visit all the churches that they've, they've been working in. And Mark says he wants to come. Now, you can see here from verse, was it, 38... Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them. So what does Paul see? You know, Paul sees the work. He sees what needs to be done. He sees the vision that God has given him. The work that God has put in front of him. And he says, this is what we need to do. This guy, he's not going to help us. You know, when we needed him before, he wasn't there for us. So I'm not taking him with me. What does Barnabas see? Well, you know, when it, when it talks about Barnabas, it talks about, you know, it calls... Mark by name. Mark, uh, Barnabas didn't see the work. Barnabas saw Mark. You know, Paul saw this work that needs to be done, and Mark will slow it down. Barnabas saw Mark. I will not go without this guy, because I believe in him. You know, Barnabas hasn't changed. He is still the same Barnabas that believed in Paul. He is the same guy, and he says, you know, I'm going to believe in Mark. You know, in the same way that he was the only person who would go to Saul when he first came to Jerusalem. He is now the only guy that will believe in Mark when Mark has failed in the past and just wants to just rise again and walk with God again and be with the people again. And, and, and Barnabas is saying, yeah, you know what? I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to enable you to do that. So they part company. And, you know, that must have been a really hard thing. These guys have been walking together for years really powerfully and they part company. And we don't know what happens with... Um, Barnabas and Mark, because the writer of Acts, who was Luke, went with Paul and Silas. So we don't know what happened. And we never get an account of the reunion between um, Barnabas and Paul. But what we can read is in 2 Timothy 11. I'm just going to make me cry. In 2 Timothy 11, 
Paul is writing to Timothy towards the end of his life and he's in prison and it's really tough and he's struggling and he writes to Timothy and says when you come with me when you come to me in prison bring with you Mark because he is good to me for service this guy who was walking with the disciples this guy who was walking with the disciples and then he gets scared or he gets tired whatever it is and he can't go with them anymore he decides he want to go again and Barnabas says you know what I'm going to believe in this guy and he believes in him from being this guy from being Mark the man who tore apart Barnabas and Paul you know who wants to be that guy first of all he's Mark the guy who left the work when he was halfway through then he's Mark the guy who tears apart the amazing unity between Paul and Barnabas and, and Barnabas believes in him and he says I'm going to walk with you until he is Mark the guy who is useful for service until he is back with God walking with him in power you know and Paul himself is obviously renewed with Barnabas and he's renewed with Mark and he says send me that guy because he is useful to me you know he's a guy who is powerful he's a guy who I can use and you know it might be difficult to imagine that we can be a Barnabas to one another but how many souls are there in this room who just need a Barnabas to become Paul you know, how many marks are there in this room who have struggled and just need a Barnabas to believe in them so that they can become walking with God again doing what he has for their life and I just want to encourage you to encourage one another to believe in one another to try and catch a glimpse you know I want you to even even look around the room do it in your heart if you're too afraid to touch the turn just look around the room and say God will you just give me someone just give me a couple of people in here that I can stand with that you can just give me a vision of just something that you have for their life even if I can't tell them what it is just some way that I believe God is doing something in that life and then you believe it and you can go to them and you can say in the same way that Simon did to me you can just say I believe that God is doing something with you you know and you just you just believe in that person that is how we encourage one another. So I'm done. I mean, we'll pray. Can you, can you stand? And let's just pray. You know, if you're uh, if you're close enough, do you want to just put an arm around someone next to you or bind up in some way? You know, let's go rugby. So bind up, because we just want to stand together as a family. And Father, I just pray. I thank you, Lord. Thank you that you have called us as family. And I thank you that we can be family to one another. And God, I pray that you would just put in this place tonight a spirit of encouragement, a spirit that believes in one another. God, I pray that right now you would be opening people's eyes to see what you have made each other. To see, you know, I pray that you would just show us, just give us someone else in the room that we can believe in. Someone that we can say, I see God working in your life. And Father, I pray that you give us the courage to actually act on that. Lord, thank you that you've given us one another. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us one another. And Lord, I just pray you release a spirit of encouragement. In Jesus' name. Amen.